0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. That's it. I would like to introduce everybody's favorite pastor, Cameron Wright. All right. Thank you. Yeah. So glad to be here uh, as always. And it's Palm Sunday. So I grew up in a traditional church, a Lutheran church, uh, very liturgical, and also went from kindergarten through eighth grade to the Lutheran school, and, um, and so the traditions of the church calendar uh, were ingrained in me all the way through my childhood, and uh, Ash Wednesday, we'd get the mark on our forehead. You know, the Lutherans don't do everything that the Catholics do, but they do a lot of them uh and <clears throat> uh palm sunday was always big because they always handed out these palm fronds i think they're called aren't they yeah. okay palm leaves and uh in preparation of you know they You know, historically very influential, and so, some traditions still practice it uh, significantly, but I thought it was really great. It was actually Pastor Jimmy that spearheaded this and found the contemporary uh, graphic illustrations uh, illustrating each one of the steps. And if you, if you take time to look at the posters and the brochure, you'll see that prog- the progression of Christ's final uh, days and hours is very significant to the story of Christ. And remember that for many, many centuries, most people were illiterate. They couldn't read the Bible, and up until the time of Luther, um, the Bible was not available the uh, the late 1500s. The Bible was not available for people to own. And so they had to create uh, different ways to communicate the message. And many people don't know that that's what stained glass was really for was to depict the different stories of, of Christianity. And so this is just another way to do that. Uh, and and I, and I just encourage you to take time to, to look at it. All right, we are continuing <coughs> uh, our series, uh, our yearly theme of grace and truth. And we've taken <coughs> uh, significant time uh, to talk about grace already this year. Uh, this is the first Sunday in which we're shifting gears and... Uh, turning from the grace canon, in which we took a couple of months to look at how grace was portrayed both in the New and Old Testament. And we're going to take five weeks, Easter is next week, so uh, that'll be a separate service. But we're uh, going to take five weeks, this week and then four subsequent weeks, to talk about these grace callings. And uh, I'm going to tell you what that means. (laughs) Uh, Grace callings is... um, Uh, What we're going to be focusing on, I already said that, grace, Uh, so January through March where we talked about the definition of grace and the grace canon, the examples of grace was really about what grace is and we really wanted to be, uh, take a lot of time to go really in depth to describe what this idea and doctrine and really essence of what grace is but now we're shifting <clears throat> excuse me i just have to say something that the that tree has budded flowers they call it spring, they call it spring. <laughs> i was just like wow <laughs> sorry i just it was a manifestation of grace <laughs> There's hope after winter, sorry. Okay, so, so we talked about what grace is, now we're talking about what grace does. So the next couple uh, uh, of series, we're really going to be focusing on the activity of grace. Grace is meant to be active in the church and in each Christian. And this activity is not just random activity. You know, people can be active uh, and not accomplish anything. Uh, The activity of grace is intentional. It has a purpose. And so, for example, you want your family to be active, right? You know, we don't want everybody just to be, you know, come home and be sitting in the chair with their head in the screen and not talking to everybody, right? Uh, Some people do. (laughs) Uh, But an active family is great. But a chaotic family... Where people are just all doing their own thing, nobody's doing the chores, nobody's cleaning, nobody's cooking, you know, that's not healthy. Right. That doesn't promote life. Or how about a how about in a situation <clears throat> in a workplace? You know, if you go to work, people should be active. There should be activity going, there should be something getting done. Right. But if it's just chaos, it just causes stress, confusion. It doesn't produce anything. It's unproductive. It's actually destructive in a society. We want a society, a community to be active. But it can't be chaotic. It can't be destructive. And so this is important to understand that grace must be active, but the activity must have a purpose and an intention. And so, our theme verses for the series, John 1.14, says, The Word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Jesus came full. He's the fullness of grace. And then, in verse 17, it says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So G- Jesus is the fullness of both grace and truth and the means of grace. Therefore, grace, the purpose of grace, the activity of grace, is to reproduce Christ in us. The essence of Jesus, who Jesus is, Christ-likeness. You know, if you, if you sign up for Christianity, if you become a Christian, you want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. How do we become more like Jesus? It's grace. Grace empowers us, enables us, directs us to be like Christ. It reproduces the character, the nature of Christ in us. The grace callings is a specific... uh, 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 number of uh, callings that are referred to in the book of Ephesians. And just a little background history. uh, That the book of Ephesians, written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. Um, I've actually been to Ephesus. It's great. I'm thinking about planning a trip to take people to Ephesus. Ephesus the city where Paul wrote you can because Ephesus was it was a major Roman city But then the the, it was on the ocean and the 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 ocean port Because of climate change 2,000 years ago. Can you believe it? Mm -hmm. (coughs) Without industrialization just say The 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 water dried up and now the ocean is about 30 miles away yeah, it's really crazy. It's in the middle of the desert, all right? But basically, everybody had to leave. And so unlike most ancient cities that have another city built on top of it, so if you go to Jerusalem today, uh, you'll know that if you go to certain archaeological sites, the roads that Jesus walked on are actually about uh, 50, 60 feet down because of the they've built over it and over it and over it, all right? But in Ephesus, they didn't do that because everybody just left And it's been abandoned for 2,000 years. And so you can actually walk down the very sidewalk that Paul walked down. And and, uh, you can go into the Agora, which is the shopping area where he sold his tents. Um, Anyway, so um, Ephesus was an influential church. It was a very large church. They uh, estimate that it could have had up to 30,000 people uh, that were part of that church. And Timothy, uh, another famous person in the New Testament, Uh, was the pastor of the church in Ephesus a a little bit later when this letter was written, most likely. So Paul writing to Ephesus, a lot of scholars consider the book of Ephesus as kind of like um, the pattern for the church. We learn the most about what church is supposed to be from the book of Ephesus. It really lays out almost every aspect of how church should function. And this is a key verse in chapter 4. It says... But to each one of us, <clears throat> grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Kind of jumping into the middle, I don't have time to lead all of the three chapters up to this. But chapter 4 talks about uh, the impartation of grace and that grace was given to each person according to the measure of Christ's gifts. What was Christ's gift? What did Jesus give? His, yeah, himself. Easter. Uh, the res, uh, uh, On Friday, we celebrate the uh, crucifixion when he was crucified. He gave his life. So that's a pretty big gift. He gave everything. Uh, so according to that, the measure of the gift of Christ, we are given grace. And grace is to do something. Uh, and so... That's a pretty big do, <laughs> All right? If it's according to the, the, the measure that Christ did. And then it, it jumps down a little bit. <clears throat> it says, And he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors. And the word pastor um, is, is better translated shepherd. Okay, it, That's what the word means, is, is shepherd, one who tends sheep. Uh, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so here we have, uh, in Scripture, the uh, giving of five uh, roles, if you will, or callings. I think the best term to use is callings, because Jesus—these are gifts from Jesus that flow from grace. And, um, for example, when Jesus uh, chose the apostles, he actually called them to himself. This is in Luke. I forget which chapter. It's in a couple of places in in the Gospels where he spent all night in prayer, and then in the morning he called the twelve to himself and called them apostles. Okay, and so we have in Scripture where he he Jesus selected. The apostles and called them into that place. And so, and then it expands here that he actually not only called apostles, but he called prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, And so these five callings, which um, uh, an acronym that is popular and uh, uh, being used now are the APEST callings, and that stands for Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, and Teacher. Okay? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. Um, Because sometimes they're just pests. No. (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. We can delete that. Yeah, I can edit that out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You guys got to liven up a little bit. Got to have a little more amens or preach it. Thank you. Thank you, Dale. Uh, They flow from grace. Uh, They're given by Jesus. These are the main points of this series that I've been telling all those that you're going to hear for the next, uh, this week and the next uh, four after Easter. Is, we're going to talk through each one of these callings. Um, but we need to understand that they flow from grace, and so they're activities of grace, and they're given by Jesus, uh, and that they're for the purpose of bringing the church to maturity. Very important that we understand what the purpose of the apostles and prophets and, and evangelists and shepherds and teachers are. It's so that the church, you, all Christians, come to a place uh, of maturity. And maturity is being living uh, in the fullness of the stature of Christ. In June, we're actually going to then switch and talk about spiritual gifts, which are a little more commonly understood. And those are the gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit all right. And uh, and we're going to elaborate on those. <clears throat> All right. So let's get uh, a little more uh, background into these apest callings. Historically, in the church, especially in the charismatic Pentecostal church, these have been known as the fivefold ministries. How many have heard of that before? Yeah. So six or seven of us. All right. Um, I have always preferred the ascension gifts because if you read the earlier part of chapter 4, these are all given um, in the context of uh, Christ's ascension. And so when Jesus rose up, his ascension was after he was crucified, after he was resurrected, and, and showed himself for many days to many people. He then uh, gathered his apostles on the mount and uh, commissioned them to preach the gospel and then literally physically rose up into the air and ascended into heaven and so when his his body, Jesus's literal body ascended, he gave his spiritual body, the church, these five uh, callings as a uh, for the purpose of reproducing his character in the church and to demonstrate his nature to the world. So most Christians have never even heard of this or have limited understanding of it, um, of the apostolic callings. <clears throat> and so we want to explain them a little more. Uh, some identify, and again, this is primarily in the uh, charismatic Pentecostal traditions, uh, identify these as offices, Implying a authority, a governmental authority, uh, but that's not written in in Ephesus or anywhere else in the New Testament. And I have to confess that I was taught the fivefold ministry. Um, I've always called them offices. In fact, when we had planned this sermon series, it was going to be the Grace Offices, you know, and that these were office like an office, like uh, the president is an office. A mayor is a governmental office, Um, you know, not just a room where someone sits in a chair. (laughs) But like an office of authority, you know, because that's what I was taught. But I was challenged when we dug in, the teaching team studied this through and said, you know, office isn't really, doesn't really sum up what these are. These are really callings. And so that's why we changed the name of the series. Um, So our approach uh, to see these five callings, uh, that they're not just offices, they're not places of authority, they're people. And that says a lot, doesn't it? That Jesus... I want to tie this together. Jesus came as a person. He didn't just send a revelation of ideas. All right? Uh, Islam, for example is based on an angel showing up and dictating to Muhammad um, this whole book of stories uh, through a number of encounters that Muhammad had. Islam doesn't teach that God came as a person. Buddhism. Buddhism. Doesn't teach that God came as a person. Buddhism actually teaches that a man who was discontent with everything in life decided that it all wasn't worth it and went off by himself and came up with a whole bunch of these little short, pithy sayings uh, that if you base your life on, you'll have peace. All right? There's no other religion that I know of that where God humbles himself to the point of coming as a person. And so it's appropriate that Jesus decides to shape his church and his people by sending people. Isn't that good? I think it's a good point. Uh, So these are essentially about people, not offices, not positions of power, and they're expressions of the person of Christ that flow from grace, that empower those people, those individuals, to function in specific roles to shape the church to look like Jesus. And so there's actually a lot in that sentence that certain people are called to operate in these callings for the purpose of shaping the church to represent and to to reproduce the character and the uh, the life of Jesus (coughs) in the body of Christ. So they're extremely important. All five are needed. None of them have ever ceased to exist. Uh, And so some people uh, believe that certain things in the New Testament have ceased. And I'm not going to argue about, I respect people that embrace a cessationist understanding of Scripture. But even they would agree that these roles and these influences of Christ's character still exist. They just... Interpret it a different way. I actually think all of them, understood properly, have never ceased and continue today where there are people that operate in the apostolic calling, people that operate in a prophetic calling, people that operate in uh, uh, evangelistic calling. Of course, none operate to the level or to the degree or with the authority of the initial 12 or the authors of Scripture. All right? No question the bible is our sole authority and definition for faith and for our faith and for christianity but we need apostolic people we need prophetic people we need uh, evangelistic uh, to continue to function in a, lo- a local congregation this i teach this actually all over the world when i teach pastors schools i teach through these five callings <clears throat> and uh, one of the in fact every time i teach it when i go to the q and a sessions they'll say, you know, is every church, does every church need to have each one of these? And there are people who have written books and are rather famous that say, yes, every church must have one of each. And I'm like, I'm sorry, there's not that many to go around. (laughs) In other words, every church won't necessarily have an apostle, someone called on that level, or a, a, a prophet. But every church needs the influence of all five, because because we want to be fully shaped in the image of Jesus. And if Jesus includes all five of these aspects, if Jesus decided that, you know, these are the five characteristics that really describe me, uh, then a church to really look like Jesus needs to have these five aspects, all right? I understand that a lot of this is like, well, this is just kind of theory and leadership stuff, but it really does... Uh, affect what church means, and, and uh, even this week as we celebrate, uh, lead up to Easter, Easter is, is, is about the birthing of the church as a response to the resurrection of Christ, uh, and so understanding the church and understanding how you fit into this uh, is very, very significant. So a few more things. These callings are different than Holy Spirit gifts in that they're, they're, in that they're specifically commissioned by Jesus. And you know what? I don't know what that means. Like, I just recently like realized, wow, there's a big difference here. All of the other gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit gives each uh, in, in, in the book of Corinthians. Uh, but in Ephesus, it says here that Jesus gives these callings. And I, I just think there's, there's a significance to that that I need to ponder Jesus is our king, right? Right. And the Holy Spirit is our comforter. But there's a difference when a king appoints and calls someone into a particular function. And so I think these are an extension of his royalty. Uh, That's kind of cool. They operate, therefore, on a higher level of power than normally seen as in a spiritual gift. So someone that's operating in a calling of uh, uh, one of these are going to function in a higher uh, authority, a spiritual authority in that sense. They cannot be earned or self-appointed. This is really important because a lot of people like to self-appoint themselves. You know, I'm a prophet. I'm like, really? (laughs) You just disqualified yourself. (laughs) You know, you can't decide that you're an apostle. Why? Because they're given by Jesus. They're not given by other people. Only Jesus can give these out. Uh, they must be recognized by others, especially those in the leadership of the church. In other words, to, to, to really walk or function in any one of these five callings, um, people other than yourselves, and particularly people in Upper level leadership, pastors and, and elders, and people that are over uh, uh, networks of churches will have to acknowledge wow, this person operates on a level of an evangelist or a level of an apostle. Um, and so that sets them apart than someone who's just operating in a, in a gifting level. I'll go get it to that in a little more. It does not imply that they have extra value or authority, there's no value hierarchy in the kingdom. Jesus paid the same price for every man, woman, child on planet Earth, uh, and that was his blood. And so just because you're called to uh, a greater level of responsibility doesn't mean you have any greater level of uh, value, but it may mean you have a greater level of sacrifice uh, that you're called to. So here's an analogy that I like to use, and um, normally I teach to all five in one session, Uh, But it's usually a two- to three-hour session, so we're not going to do that today. (laughs) So uh, everybody have a hand? Everybody have five fingers? Good. Nobody missing any? Nobody got any extras? (laughs) So, um, Often the apostle is thought of as the thumb. And real quick, the reason for that is uh, apostolic. and, And I'll be teaching on the apostle gift later. But it brings opposition to the other digits. And so it keeps them in balance. And and actually, this is one thing that's really interesting. If you're an evolutionist, (laughs) evolutionist scientists believe that. It's because humans developed an opposing digit. They call this an opposing digit. How many remember that from science class? All right. Uh, Evolutionists say, because humans have an opposing digit, that enables us to pick up things, even little things, and use tools... That's why we're not like the animals. Like really smart people with doctorate degrees really believe that. I just, it just cracks me up. Okay. Like the, this is the thing that distinguishes humanity from apes, you know, not poetry or imagination, no, so I just think that's funny. <laughs> I think this is important. It really helps. But, I think this is, but and 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 so the apostolic ministry is very important because it it really does enable us to do things to grasp to grasp things to reach forward and grab on the things. The apostolic ministry, uh, <coughs> the uh, prophet is the pointer finger because it points out things, it identifies things, it also gives direction. All right, the uh, finger in the middle, <coughs> the middle finger is on most people, not all people, is the longest finger. How about anybody here with a shorter middle finger? If you're here, that makes you very unique. So it's, it has the longest reach. You are. <laughs> yeah. It has the longest reach, and so it's, it's about extending the kingdom. <clears throat> and then you have the, the pastor. And in nearly every culture, it's this finger that, and this is a contemporary uh, analogy, of course, that indicates family because that's where uh, a ring is worn. All over the world they wear the ring if you're married on on the ring finger. Um, And so it speaks of family and pastors are really focused on that. And then the the smallest finger is the teacher and the idea here is that teachers are in the details, they're very systematic and teachers can get to places that the other ones can't get to. Like if you get a get something stuck in your ear use you you know something and they can pry it out right and so that's a quick analogy uh, of the hand and another part of that is that when you have all five working together what do you have a fist bam you can take out the enemy come on that's a good point that's a good point <laughs> in Mexico, they really shout when they do that. They go, "Oh, Hallelujah, Gloria a Dios!" <laughs> okay, no. So I got to, I got to move on. <clears throat> so we're going to talk today. We're not going to talk through these in order. Uh, we're, gonna, I'm going to talk about the evangelist. <clears throat> uh, the definition is simply one who announces good news, especially the gospel. To declare, bring, show, glad tidings or preach the gospel. So in when when Ephesus was written, the word evangelist was a common term for someone that would go into a city and declare good news. And so this was not like this new idea. It was an idea that uh, Paul and God was using to say, hey, you know what the best news is? Jesus died for you. And that you can be rescued from uh, damnation, from guilt and sin, by simply following him. And so it's the ultimate uh, evangelist is the one who comes and declares the message of the gospel. And guess what? Jesus is the evangelist. The verse where he describes his ministry, this is when Jesus began his ministry, He went into... A, uh, uh, um, a not a tabernacle, a synagogue. synagogue. <clears throat> and he opened up the scriptures and a place, and he read, uh, he says, um, uh, he read, uh, The spirit of the Lord is on me because he was an, because He has anointed me to preach, and that word there is what we translate evangelize. Good news to the poor." <clears throat> He has sent me, so Jesus was anointed as the evangelist. He has sent me, God has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then uh, later in the book of uh, Luke, he repeats that. Jesus said to them, his disciples, um, actually what had happened was a great crowd was gathered, and then in, in the morning, the disciples, what, what happened to Jesus? Jesus had already had left town. And they went and found him. He said, Jesus, there's a whole bunch of people wanting you to go back there. And he said, I must evangelize. I must preach. I evangelize the kingdom of God uh, to other cities also because, what? For this purpose, I have been sent. So Jesus' purpose was to be the evangelist. Uh, he is the good news. Jesus' ministry was evangelistic, therefore the church must be evangelistic. Would you agree? All right. If we're going to look like Jesus, we need to be evangelistic. And so, evangelists, people that have this calling of an evangelist, function in a way that reproduces this character of Christ in the church. And they do it in two ways they do it by demonstrating it, and they do it by equipping. Uh, the church to do evangelism. So, if you were to say, give me someone that you know of that's an evangelist, who would you say probably top of the list? Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Alright? So, has every church got a Billy Graham in them? No. no. And so, but everybody, no one would say, you know, that that guy is not an evangelist. Unlike a Capital E level. Uh, who knows how many millions of people. One time he did a TV thing that was broadcast around the world. And there were millions, if not hundreds of millions. I can't remember the number. But it was an astounding number of people that heard him preach the gospel. Hundreds of millions people all over the world. And so he's like the latest and greatest uh, depiction of someone operating in the calling of an evangelist. But there have been people like that all throughout history. Uh, in fact, in the Bible, we see this guy named Philip. And he is, uh, in Acts 21, says, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions, so Acts is a story of the church expanding, and so Paul had a group that traveled with him, a small group. They went to a city called Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, was one of the seven, and stayed with him. So by this point in the story, there were already people that were recognized in Scripture by the people, the guy who wrote the book put that in there because everyone would know who Philip the Evangelist was. Because he had a reputation. He was acknowledged that he was operating in the gift. Notice, Philip wasn't one of the twelve apostles, was he? He was one of the seven. What were the seven? The deacons, so it, and so, the deacons were elected to do what? To lead the church. You've answered all your questions for today. Do you remember what the seven in, in Acts chapter six is? It were were chosen to do. Why aren't you the pastor? You can't answer. Anybody else? Tell me what I can't answer. <laughs> so they were distributing food. And the apostles said, guys, this is too much work for us. We need to give our time to studying scripture and prayer. You guys select seven, uh, seven people of good reputation to distribute the food. So originally, they were elected to handle the potluck. All right? <clears throat> so that the leaders of the church, the apostles, could lead the church. But many of them ended up becoming much greater, more significant roles. Stephen was the first martyr. He was one of the seven. And then uh, Philip was one of the others, uh, was also one of the seven. He later became very, very well known as an evangelist. In fact, the story in Acts chapter eight says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria to preach Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Philip was also the guy who God told him to go down out into the, into the, uh, on a desert way, a road out in the wilderness, and came across the eunuch who was a uh, representative of a uh, African nation, <clears throat> and he preached to the eunuch uh, and um, the guy got saved and then Philip was translated uh, miraculously taken to another place. so this guy was kind of he was rocking it right He was an evangelist on a major scale so he in scripture we see Jesus portrayed as an evangelist, but then we see this other individual Philip that that Initially just started out serving tables in the church, but ended up in this very high-status ministry of winning souls into the kingdom. Okay, So people who function in the calling of evangelists, any one of these could be a pastor of a local church. Um, or someone who leads a local church it, it can have any one of the gifts or callings. But people who are, who are strong evangelists have certain strengths. <clears throat> They're really good at winning lost people, <laughs> and they're really good at just drawing people, all right? Uh, they, they're really excellent at creating a, a dynamic atmosphere, all right? When, when they're in the room, it's, it's alive, it's sparking. Um, I'm not really an evangelist, can you tell? <laughs> you know, I've, I have an evangelistic gift, but that's not anywhere near my, my number one calling. Uh, They attract new people easily. They're magnets, Um, uh, and they draw other evangelists. Uh, Like attracts like, and so evangelists love to be around evangelists because they understand one another and they have the same priorities. They tend to be really good at church growth. So a church that's pastored by an evangelist usually ends up being a really big church because they're just—they just got it, man. They've got that gift. Weaknesses—they often lack the ability to teach at a deeper level. <clears throat> Actually, you can you can look at whole denominations and say, well, that, that's really a that's an evangelistic denomination. Most of the church growth uh, seeker sensitive churches—they're just evangelistic, like that's their like on on number eleven setting. All right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and the criticism of? They don't teach very deeply. Oh, well, actually, that's part of the package. All right. Um, uh, They often have difficulty, evangelists individually, have difficulty training up and releasing or promoting other people because they know if they're on the stage, 10,000 people are going to get one for Jesus. And if they let some rookie up there, only 1,000 will. (laughs) Right? And so that's something they struggle with. They're often not good at discipleship or keeping those who they've won for the Lord because they're just on to the next. I know some people, that have this calling. And once someone gets saved, it's, the box is checked and they're down the road and they don't even remember, <laughs> unless it was a good story to tell other people. Uh, they can be so focused on winning the loss that other aspects of the church are neglected. All right, They have a big front door, but they also have a big back door. A lot of people coming in, but because they don't go deep, they're not nurturing, people don't stick around a lot. And so those are just part of the package, and you learn to compensate if that's your calling. Um, And the whole idea is when they all work together, you have a church that attracts uh, a lot of people and has a great reach, but then you have the other gifts, like the pastor that cares for people and makes sure they stick around and the teacher that trains people up. We're going to go into each one of these uh, gifts over the next few weeks. Um, so what does this mean for you <coughs> and me? Um, all Christians are called to share the gospel. We, we are to be witnesses. Um, those with a gift, a spiritual gift of evangelism, will be especially good at it. But those with a calling of the evangelist will be known for it, like Billy Graham. Heidi Baker would be another one. Uh, this was a few years ago. She had announced, the last time I saw her, that she had personally led a million people to bow their knee to Jesus Christ. In her crusade, she actually has them bow when they recite the prayer. Uh, a million people! And she hasn't stopped. Okay, And they also function not only in winning the loss, but equipping the church to do so. And so the question I have for you is our church and are you and I reflecting this key aspect of Christ's character. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus, make me like you. That doesn't just mean being humble or being free from besetting sins. Those are you know, not sinning is a negative characteristic, you know, something you don't do. This is a positive characteristic. This is something you do. So how are we doing at this? Any honest? Not so good. Thanks, Lou, for being honest. It's our greatest weakness. A new day, all three, all three of my congregations, even our South Carolina congregation. It's not our strongest, you know why? Because it's, it's not my strongest. I'm really good at a couple of the other ones. Um, and so we need to work harder to make sure the space is covered, right? And it's OK to be honest about that. It's like this is an area where you need to grow. So, who is the evangelist that is equipping you and our congregation? Do we have one? Is there an evangelist that... Jesus? Yeah, that's a good answer. Jesus, certainly. Yeah, we have Jesus. But I think Jesus gave evangelists, and so we need to find an evangelist that we can learn from. And so this is one of the reasons why I'm going to Mexico, and Josh has been here, and he's coming again in January. Josh Muse, who leads the ministry in Mexico... That guy is an evangelist on a scale I've never personally been that close to. I mean, I've met Heidi Baker and I've heard Billy Graham. I've been in the same room with 17,000 other people. <laughs> but Josh and I are friends. I stay at his house. And every time I'm with Josh, somebody gets saved. Okay, like walking down a street. <laughs> he just... And so I get around Josh for one reason primary reason. I want to learn how, I want to soak up some of that. And I'm, that's why I want you, and my goal is to get as many people from our three churches to go down to Mexico on a mission trip, which there's still room if you want to sign up. We still could use two or three other people why? So you can be around evangelists, so you can learn how to, so you can catch the evangelist anointing, so that you can bring it back, and and we can be more Christ-like in Cass County, all right. And in addition, we got uh, a guy named Curtis Hines coming this summer, uh, um, and uh, we're going to be doing a evangelism makeover workshop. And um, we still haven't figured out the schedule, but I'm hoping to get him down here at least once and develop a relationship so he's coming on a more regular basis. And then, how can we increase this Christ character in ourselves and our church? And I just want you to consider that uh, today, right now, and this week, um, because. Even if you're not, and chances are you know, none of us are called to operate in this calling, but who knows? You might be called to operate. You may, might be like, uh, uh, what's your name, Michael? Peter. Peter. Wow. <clears throat> Peter, you're just a worship leader attending a church. You might be like Philip, who started out just serving in the church, but a few years later was known throughout the whole church Uh, of being an evangelist? I don't know. Jesus might have that. Wouldn't it be cool? Yeah. So you may be called to that, but we all need to operate in that. And I challenge you to ask yourself, how can I be like Christ in this area? Listen, if if you give yourself and your attention and your energy and your prayers into asking Jesus to reproduce the positive characteristics in you more, You'll have to give less time and energy asking Jesus and resisting the negative things that you're trying to avoid, like sin and temptation. Did you hear that? You'd be saying, God, Jesus, make me more like you in evangelism. And guys, you know, this is Easter weekend. This is the most likely time someone who doesn't normally go to church will go to church because it's Easter. And they'll go, oh, yeah, it's Easter. I should go to church on Easter. Easter. This, is, this week is the easiest week to say, hey, buddy, I know you don't normally go to church, but what, we're having a brunch, and uh, it's a low-key church. You can come dressed as you are. We'd love to see you here to, to remember Jesus' crucifixion. Would you come with me? Don't invite someone to church. Bring them to church.